This is the Made For More podcast. The health and wellness industry can be dogmatic and stagnant. We aim to explore what makes up the true essence of the human experience by discussing health, happiness, the human body, and what it truly means to be made for more. I'm your host, Jake Reynolds, along with co-host Lauren Sock and Mary Kathleen Toner. Today's episode of Made for More is sponsored by Functionize Health and Physical Therapy. Functionize Health and Physical Therapy provides modern wellness for the everyday athlete. Functionize is a private pay physical therapy and wellness center serving active adults and athletes across the greater Atlanta area. Built on the foundation of understanding human experience, offering practical solutions, and insisting on an individualized approach, Functionize empowers you to take control of your health and wellness today so you may thrive and enjoy your best years ahead. You can find Functionize Health online at www.functionizehealth.com or call at 404-907-4196. Now, made for more. Welcome everybody to the Made for More podcast. I'm Jake Reynolds. And I'm Lauren Sock. On today's podcast, we are speaking with Dr. Rachel Marinowski. She's a naturopathic doctor and founder of Kale Blossom. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So excited to be here today. We are too. (laughs) Dr. Marinowski, you're someone I've known in the health and wellness community for some time. I believe we first got to know each other in your role as head of primary care at the Atlanta Birth Center, and that's where we used to have a satellite location. But so much has changed in the past few years if you started a whole new business that we will get into later, but I'd love for you to share your short story of how it all began so our listeners listeners can get to know you better. Sure, and yes, thank you again for having me today. I wanted to say uh, I'm so appreciative and admire what you guys do uh, in in the realm of body work that is so important. So thanks to y'all and what you're doing at Functionize Health. I had always wanted to go to traditional uh, medical school and to be a doctor. I went to the UGA uh, UGA for my undergraduate degree. I had a lot of fun um, and decided upon graduating, I wasn't quite ready to dive into more school. Uh, So I actually went to work for a large hospital system here in Georgia, uh, and I was in charge of corporate health, which included a number of different things, but going out to different businesses, we would do your standard blood pressure checks, cholesterol um, checks, glucose screenings, etc. And it was really, really daunting because the majority of the employees that we were testing were 30, 40, 50 year old ish. And we were saying, okay, get ready to go on medication for the rest of your life. You're all of your, you know, levels look not so great. Um, that's all we got for you. And I started saying, wait a minute, there's got to be more. And then I started diving into the fact that Our conventional medical system, although certainly still very, very important, it is disease-based. It's a disease-based model of care wherein we're getting in to help these folks after disease has already progressed. I said, surely there's got to be more of the proactive, preventive health measures. Where is that? So I started looking into various options, and that's where I came to find naturopathic medicine, and it was like love at first sight. So maybe... Speak a little bit about what is naturopathic medicine for people that don't know. Sure, yeah. So naturopathic physicians require schooling a four-year postgraduate medical degree from one of six accredited naturopathic medical schools in the United States and Canada. Uh, After we finish those four years, we also have to sit for board exams before we can actually get a license. During the four years, we learn all of the basic stuff that a conventional medical doctor learns, all of the ologies, physiology, biology, renal, you know, anything and everything. Um, We even learn how to interpret lab work, radiology, minor surgery, even some emergency medicine. But where we really differ is the last two years. Our toolbox is really, really focused on the more natural modalities, things like botanical medicine, lifestyle modification, hydrotherapy, homeopathy, supplementation, um, even IV nutrient therapy. So a naturopathic doctor is trained as a primary care doctor, which is why I am the head of primary care at uh, our integrative clinic in Atlanta that includes the Atlanta Birth Center. 
Um, and we have a variety of really wonderful natural tools in the toolbox. One thing that's also really cool is that the amount of time we spend with patients, the first intake uh, of a naturopathic exam, we go all the way back to when that person, their mom was pregnant with them. What was going on with your mom? Was she stressed? Was she healthy? Was she a smoker? Mm -hmm. You know, were, were your parents divorced or together? Anything and everything. Not that we can go back and change that, but it's certainly an important inventory point when we're looking at someone's whole health history. Were you born vaginally or via C-section? We know how much that affects the microbiome, the immune system for the rest of a person's life. So we spend a lot, a lot of time listening to our patients. We go through their whole health history, what's going on at the current time, and then put together a customized treatment protocol, not so much symptoms-based, but working to fix and, and address the whole body, not mm -hmm. just one system or be reductionistic to one symptom. Um, so as you can tell, I'm a little biased, but I feel like naturopathic mm -hmm. medicine is primary care the way it should be, where the patient is the one that matters and gets all the TLC that they need. You know, that's kind of our practice too, that patient-centered practice um, Love it. of looking at the whole person. Um, but, you know, I guess when we, when we talk to our clients about naturopathic medicine, they immediately have a lot of questions because there's so much confusion around the words. They look it up and they look at like integrative medicine, homeopathic medicine, holistic mm -hmm. medicine, functional medicine. <laughs> what, how do you decipher all those things and, and where, where are the boundaries or there's probably overlaps as well, but how would you tell a client to go in one direction or the other? And what is really the difference? Yeah, great question. And those terms are oftentimes used interchangeably. And some of them are pretty interchangeable. Some are more different. So integrative or functional medicine or holistic or alternative, those are all interchangeable kind of umbrella terms to describe a naturopathic physician, a more integrative medical doctor, a DO, an MP, any, any practitioner that that practices mm -hmm. more holistic or globally kind of um, not more systems based, if you will. When it comes to specifically a naturopathic physician, we have modalities in our toolbox like homeopathy. So we're not homeopaths. We're not homeopathic doctors. That's a whole separate subset. In Europe, India, homeopathic doctors are actually the medical doctors, which is really cool. They're super amazing. Mm -hmm. um, it's different here. Homeopathy is, it's a really tricky modality. It's really, really tricky, largely because it's the opposite of conventional medicine. In that conventional medicine, the higher the dosage you go up, potentially the higher the activation or mechanism of action to affect the body. Homeopathy, the more diluted and the less you need to take it. Really complicated. I don't want to go down that, the homeopathy bunny hole today, but um, then there's something called a naturopath, which is very different than a naturopathic physician. They can be great healers as well, but a naturopath is more of an online certification degree. There is no even undergraduate degree that's required. There's also no national board exam. So a naturopath is more like a, a maybe a nutrition counselor, not a full-blown physician. Again, not saying one or the other is better than, but very different naturopath versus naturopathic physician. One way, if, if a patient wants to find a naturopathic physician, they can go to naturopathic.org. That is a U.S. of A. Uh, it's our American Association. And if a person is licensed as a naturopathic physician, they keep up with everything that they need to to maintain their license in good standing. They will be listed in all states within the U.S. So you know you're in good hands if you if you go there, put in your zip code um, and find a naturopathic physician. That's good to know. IFM, the Institute of Functional Medicine and some of the bigger integrative groups that are out there now, Institute of Functional Medicine is the one of the brightest brain trusts in medical care in our country right now. It's awesome. The cool thing about functional, the Institute of Functional Medicine is that they have a number of different clinicians on their board. So they have MDs, they have DOs, they have MDs and MPs and dietitians. And that's where we really want to go with healthcare. We want everybody working together, again, not so disease-based in the preventive proactive, but marrying the best of both conventional and the integrative world. I think we'll get there. It's just going to take some time. Yeah. Well, that's actually a good segue. And, you know, 
you kind of took the words right out of my mouth is that, you know, when I think of more naturopathic or functional medicine, the, the first thing that comes to mind is actual care for the yes. patient, right? It's, it's listening, it's being uh, creative and critical about all of the potential things that that organism is, is going through or has gone through. Um, and I, it's, I don't think it's, any disagreement that our current medical model is just so disjointed. You know, everyone's a specialist. Uh, it's, and rarely do those specialists communicate with one another um, to, to actually find the true source of the, the patient's complaints or you know, symptoms or whatever. How do we, and, and I know, and, and you see this on social media all the time, you have sort of like these, these warring communities between, you know, what, quote unquote, traditional medicine and then functional medicine and, you know, all of that. How do we incorporate, and you just touched on this, is where we need to get there, but how do we incorporate traditional Western medicine with more naturopathic functional medicine? How do those two kind of fit together? Yeah, great question. Um, and because it is going to be a whole paradigm shift that I think, again, is is already in motion, I think it's our practice, your practice, the birth center. It's, it's here in our own communities walking the walk, talking the talk, and providing that level of care. And that was our goal in starting the integrative clinic in Atlanta. We call it Vital Atlanta, but it's the birth center is such a special part of it. And I feel like I can um, boast about it because it's not my practice and I'm affiliated, but I don't have anything to do with the birth work. Um, sure. When we set out, we had three years of meetings every Sunday for hours and we were like, how do we do this? Because it, it's largely, there's no guidebook. And the the facility that we have in Atlanta with the birth center part, there's nothing like it in the whole world. There are lots of integrative clinics, but the birth center piece makes it super cool. Um, so I think it's just getting out and doing it. And we've had to learn as we go. Um, and one of the things that you were alluding to is how do we get all these clinicians, these care providers talking to each other and how do we get it less disjointed? It's hard because you guys know it, we're busy. Patient care is busy. And then if, if we want to be healthy on our own, because we're we're practicing what we preach and want balance in our own lives we know we can't spend all day working we have to tend to our families too mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing that is paramount at our clinic in atlanta is really working together talking when we can having grand rounds so we talk about case studies and new research and we take care of each other first and that helps us also to take better care of our patients and one cool thing that we know that it's working and it's a model that's awesome because for example, when at our integrative clinic, you can choose what modalities where you don't come in and you have to do everything you get to choose, but we see the patients that do, for example, a, a, a shared patient that's doing naturopathic medicine. That's also doing therapy with Dr. Sean and Jackson psychology. And then is also, you know, has had a baby with the birth center after a really traumatic birth at a, in a hospital setting, working with the midwives, we see them progress in healing so much more quickly because it's yeah. the whole body, mind, the, you know, the physical and the mental emotional, which are inextricable. I mean, I can't tell you how many times there have been women particularly because no offense, we love the dudes too. You guys need to care. We tend to, we <laughs> see a lot of women, but how many women with thyroid dysfunction, their thyroids mm -hmm. on lab work are just bottomed out. And then we also realize that they don't feel like they have a voice. They grew up in a, in a home where, you know, they were told to be quiet. They didn't get what they needed. And What's right there at your thyroid, your voice box. So imagine you've got this. And again, that's more esoteric. That's like the body, mind. Um, but there is a lot to the power of the body and how emotions manifest in the physical. So we've seen where women are able to go into therapy and do more things to support themselves and have an outlet. And then their thyroid, of course, we're doing other things for thyroid. Everything just comes together and she blossoms. It's better. She feels better, more vitality. She's like, I feel like myself again. I've never felt so good. That's what makes it worth trying to do the hard work to get this integrative model into practice. Well, you know, yeah. that's something Lauren and I were actually literally talking about yesterday was thyroid issues uh, just seem to be more and more evident in, in our practice. And I think more and more women are actually getting diagnosed with Hashimoto's thyroiditis and uh, actually attaining diagnoses. But I can't tell you the number of women that I've seen that says it took me eight, nine, 10 physicians for them to actually check my thyroid hormone. And I have two people really close to me that 
have gone the, the functional medicine route with that after getting that diagnosis and are you know basically in remission from from it because of all of the lifestyle changes and all of the the uh modalities and education they received from integrative medicine and so that the power i've seen it with my own eyes both in, in people that i love and in patients of mine as well awesome you know we could probably do a whole podcast on thyroid dysfunction yeah um and again not to be reductionistic we know that that whole hpa axis the endocrine system they're all friends they're all working together yeah. the adrenals and the thyroid are best friends and guess what everybody's adrenals are on high alert either pooped out or running over you know upregulated because of one last year which was in and of itself. No, we don't even need to go there. Um, But yeah, with thyroid dysfunction, the problem is, and this is where I I definitely am hopeful to see conventional medicine incorporate more of the integrative proactive pieces that the reference range for normal is here based on a a cohort, a population of a country that's largely really unhealthy. (laughs) So if we're waiting till someone gets out of the normal that's already abnormal, it takes six, eight, 10 years for someone to get a thyroid diagnosis. But here's the thing. If we rein that in and we do more functional, more narrow reference ranges, for example, TSH, it should not be above two. But typically, a standard diagnosis doesn't come until after 4, 4.5. So if you have that, imagine all of the people, especially women, especially postpartum when thyroid really tanks, you could start helping and catch it like what you're referring to, absolutely, before they're into full-blown organ failure, which happens. And then you're dependent on something forever. And then it's not even necessarily being dependent on something. Thyroid medication is certainly not the worst. There's compounded formulas. There's some really great ways to support the thyroid if you need it. But it's the other organs and the other systems that then start floundering when one is out of place, when one is down for the count. So. Yeah. I mean, you're, I love your passion as you talk about this, right? (laughs) We, you know, we see this and you're so right. Like they'll go to their doctor and get their lab work or hormone test. And they're like, Oh, my doctor said I was within normal range, but I was on the higher end or I was on the lower end. And I'm like, well, did you ask them like, well, what, what does that mean? Can you improve it? So it's more in the, the mid range. Right. And they're like, I don't know. My doctor never said anything, but meanwhile, they're very unhealthy. Um, so it's, it's so, it's so common, but you know, maybe we can move into, your current business, which is Kale Blossom, and and how you hope to spread the word about all this to the masses, right? To a very much larger community of people that are struggling to build more wellness within, you know, our local areas, but beyond. Um, so maybe you can go into how Kale Blossom started and what that's all about. Yeah, yes. Uh, something that I'm equally passionate about. Kel Blossom actually was a vision, again, 10 or 11 years ago with um, one of my very best friends, Dr. Carly Egaville. She's a chiropractor by training. She We met in um, school in Chicago, post-grad. And we said, we really want to do something. It's a creative outlet for us too, which is really awesome. I'm, I'm very much for that, being able to, to utilize the, cre- the power of creativity. I think that saying... Um, unused creativity metastasizes, right? Whatever your outlet is, whether it's painting or exercise or what have you. So like, how do we be creative and take our awesome toolbox to a larger audience? Because as you guys, I'm sure would agree, if you're doing patient care in a dedicated way where you're trying to stay up with research, you're giving them the time and attention that they need, it can be very demanding and also draining. Your outgoing arrows become too much really quickly, and there's not that much coming back in. Not to mention, if you have a family or children, I have four small children, that balance point of me being able to practice and care for the patients that I love, 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 um, that many of which I've been caring for a number of years, I've been practiced 11 years now, um, how do I also share this awesome toolbox with others if I can't see them in practice? And that's how Kel Blossom was born. So our goal with Kel Blossom is just to be an educational educational resource for that holistic, integrative, naturopathic, whatever title you want to call it, um, health modalities, and in a way that is user-friendly. So a lot of this is very intense biochemistry and science, and we like to break it down and say we present it in a way that you would talk with your girlfriend over lunch in a very authentic, real way. And stuff that is empowering, positive, uplifting, which we need 
all the time, but definitely after last year. And stuff that you can implement easy on your own, and you don't have to go in to see someone. Now, that's not always the case with every type of, of condition and what have you, but we think knowledge is power. And if we can provide people with education, the knowledge on how to be healthy on their own day to day, that's where we want to go. And that's yeah. where Kelp Blossom was born. That's great. And I think so. that our, our system needs more of that. I mean, I, I hate to be the negative one in the room, but I just, I think our current system is failing people and failing so many people. And for a country with so much, so many resources and so much access, it's a shame that chronic disease is just running rampant and it's getting worse, right? You know, obesity and diabetes and uh, cancers are all, they're not improving. Um, And so I think that you're right. I think we really have to rethink how is it that we're going to choose to do medicine and how is it that we're going to choose to inform our populations about taking care of themselves, right? I, I think the evidence is overwhelming that prevention is where things start. Um, but our current system doesn't like to pay for prevention. <laughs> so right. I guess in this kind of living in this world where we're all inflamed and it's hard to maintain health and maybe you're confused about what you read and what you hear and, and whatnot, uh, I think you know, how, how does, how do people access information and be able to discern that for themselves? So that's part one of this question. And part two, what is something you're really excited about in your practice or that, that you're seeing other practitioners do that you, that you think is really going to change where we're at right now? Whoa, that's a whopper of a question. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No worries. And I hear you. It's okay to be negative, Nancy. It's, I mean, it's, it's everywhere. It's around us. Sure. Sure we're inflamed. The world is inflamed. There's, there's a lot. It's hard to, to, to maintain that, that positive demeanor. Um, I think, uh, yeah, gosh, again, it's starting within our own communities and, you know, working every day to, to help each other when it comes to, I'm trying to think of what all that I want to answer on that one. Yeah. I guess maybe the, the question is, what, what are you excited about right now? Is there something that's happened new that's happening in your field that you can get really excited about that you're seeing that has a lot of potential? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. And kind of back to what you said, too. It's if, for example, through Kel Blossom or even patient-patient encounter, if we're sharing with them information that resonates and it's a new piece of knowledge that they can take and run with it, and in their day-to-day, they see positive changes that's how we start those little baby steps towards a larger paradigm shift, which is what we want. And I think it is very possible. And that's what we're trying to do through Kill Blossom, because that was one reason why we started too, is there are a lot of cool people doing cool stuff in the health blogosphere world and out there. Not many of them are actually clinicians who have worked on patients who have dissected a cadaver in a lab who, you know, look at lab work. So that was where we wanted to come in and offer something unique so that we could be a sound, reliable source of information. But there are a few bunny holes that I'm excited about right now moving forward. And I don't know a lot about them. So um, don't quiz me on them. But one thing that I think is super cool, the microbiome is awesome. It always will be. That's kind of like 10 years ago, I did most of my post um, doc work in um, the microbiome, stool analyses. I got to see poop from people all over the world. It was awesome. <laughs> and I tell you, one of the cr- the craziest microbiome are, are people that typically make homebrew kombucha and they don't do it the right way. So just a forewarning, oh, no. if you're excited <laughs> about fermenting things on your own, make sure that you're fully educated because they can grow some really interesting yeasty beasties in the gut. So <laughs> microbiome, still lots to dis- lots to discover. I think it's still super cool. But the up and coming thing is the virome. You guys heard of that? Yeah, 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 yeah. So I think that's going to be a whole magical, like Super Mario, jump down those tunnels, you know, where you go into another (laughs) galaxy. And I don't think we know nearly enough about it. The virome may be as equally impactful. Not sure yet. But for example, we see so many people now with chronic Epstein-Barr. That's a huge thing that conventional medicine says, no big deal. And we say, Mm -hmm. oh, it's just a sign of a previous infection. 
well, why is your antibody load so high? Mm-hmm. Your immune system yeah. is still really mad about it and having to manage it as a big time managerial task. So it's doing something in your overall lay of the land microbiome. So the virome, I think is going to be really cool. Even the lay of the land of the oral microbiome, um, mm-hmm. I think is, is going to be super, super cool and kind of bust wide open. The other thing is telomere length, which they're starting to look at different biomarkers to measure, for example, inflammation, taking those biomarkers a step further and looking at the longer your telomere, the more vital, the more longevity. So what affects, what starts shrinking our telomeres? Is it environmental medicine and the toxins we're surrounded by? For other people with different genetics, it's it's stress. For other people, it's Mm -hmm. nutrient deficiencies and eating foods that are really inflaming to their body. Um, But Mm -hmm. I think the telomere link thing and those biomarkers. What what is the telomere? It just tell. What is the telomere for people who don't know? So it's the basic, when you're talking about like DNA, the the basic mm-hmm. makeup of a person, um, you know, the little, you probably can imagine what it looks like. Um, and there's no real way, it's not like we can get in surgically and look at telomeres, but we can potentially do different lab work like your um your high sensitivity CRP, C-reactive protein that we largely use for cardiovascular health, but now we know it's a more systemic marker of inflammation. Things like your RDW, red, dis- red cell distribution width, if you have a lot of variability, not so great in those red blood cells. Um, mm-hmm. Looking at things like ferritin and of course your CBC, your a whole host of things. So again, it's a, it's a bunny hole, Lauren. Um, (laughs) You're excited. I love it. But a good one. And I, that's on my, uh, the top of my to-do list this year is just to gobble up as much information as I can. Another biggie is the um, interplay of insulin and glucose. Some of the integrative docs are sending their patients home with all day glucose monitors and not just like your diabetic overweight patients, like your in shape, ultimately healthy, maybe has a little bit of adrenal dysregulation, glucose dysregulation. Let's see what their cortisol, what their insulin, what their glucose, how those are dancing on a daily basis. Because we know in our go, go, go stressful world, we get up, we hit the ground running, we may eat breakfast in our car. And is it really a good breakfast? Is it, you know, is it a bar on the go, which is we know is not great, but it's something. And then you just that stress response that goes, goes, goes throughout the day cortisol spikes, insulin changes. So I think that's a really, really easy, simple way that we can certainly monitor our patients, but something that will, will probably give us more when we apply it through this biomarker longevity lens, which is what's happened. One thing that you had mentioned, and this is something that I've just become more and more aware of is, is the number of patients that I have where they mention they have Epstein-Barr and it's, almost to the point where I can't ignore it, right? And a lot of these people are have d- done exactly what you said, which is they have pieced together information that they found over at one random source and another random source. And it doesn't seem like any of it's coming from a centralized, unified voice, right? They, uh, a good example is one, one patient who said, you know, I have Epstein-Barr, all three of my kids get... Uh, chronic strep throat all the time. Um, some of it's presenting as you know neurogenic Lyme. I had a diagnosis of MS that wasn't actually MS. Uh, and it's just, I'm, I'm seeing and hearing this more and more. And it's just something that I, I think we, as within conventional medicine, we can't ignore any longer. Like we've got to start asking questions. We've got to start digging into this. So I love that you're, you're doing that because I think it's just settling on something isn't enough. Just settling, like you said, is, that, oh, well, you've got Epstein-Barr and that's just, you know, it's just a marker of what it previously was. Well, why do I feel so bad? And why, why does my gut always hurt? And why do I always get sick? Right. It's, we've got to start taking it a step further, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And we can't be so reductionistic again, because that's what we're trying to get away from say, oh, it's just the Epstein-Barr. I've got Epstein-Barr and it is out of control Yeah, because health is like a bucket, right? We fill it with stress, with illness, with a GI bug, with Mm -hmm. Epstein-Barr, with strep, with, you know, a death in the family, with, you know, a toxic moldy home, with a Lyme, you know, a tick exposure. When the body's bucket is full, that's when something like EBV can't be managed well. And it is a player in the circus that needs to be addressed. You can't ever really get rid of 
EBV. And when we talk about our virum, maybe we don't need to. We want some memory that it was there. The body needs to remember that it's been through tough things so that it can be strong and hopefully not revisit it. But if the bucket's so full, the immune system goes, I don't know what you want me to do here. There's so much going on. I can't. I can't do it. Yeah. So then you're going to yeah. feel bad and your gut's a wreck, which is where your immune system lives. And you largely wake up feeling like garbage every day. And those are the stories that were like, it doesn't have to be this way. If you are yeah. told by your doctor that, you know, you're just going to be sick. It's not, it doesn't matter what you eat. doesn't matter what you do. This is just part of aging. Then I want to say, no, seek some more answers because it doesn't have to be that way. The body is way smarter than any clinician. Nature has designed it beautifully. If we can help remove those obstacles or calm those obstacles or dampen those obstacles like EBV and all those other things, the body wants to be in a state of homeostasis, as y'all know, and it will respond beautifully if it's given what it needs. And that's one of the things too, just sorry, really quickly, based on last year, um, you know, people are really struggling and especially it it was hard enough doing telemedicine because I feel like in person you can connect and there's so much, it's so much more nourishing. But one thing that I found myself really revisiting with the majority of of people that I work with is the basics of sleep 101, I mean, uh, health 101, sleep, hydration, feed yourself well, get outside for fresh air, sunshine, move your body, stress less. I mean, if those are like the the legs of the table, if any one of those is out, the table's wonky, you know, you're going to fill it. So I think that's something too, that I wish because we're so primed to look to and respect the big organizations like the CDC and what have you. I want them to come out with megaphones and be like, okay, let's start from square one, sleep, eat, hydrate. You know, it's like, then I think we would have a bigger effect, trickle down effect. People would say, oh, the CDC said, it. I need to do it. <laughs> yep. Well, and that's, we see that in our own frustrations with our clients, right? They come in and they've been told that they have a diagnosis that they hold on to. Oh, yes. Like, you know, fibromyalgia is one of them. I was told I have fibromyalgia and I'm like, okay, I, I understand that. But they, all those factors you just mentioned play into helping with your fibromyalgia. And so sometimes, um, I'll just say to them, like, let's start with little, little parts of, of changing what your habits are or what your lifestyle is and giving them those little bits of information. And it could be something as simple as breathing, right? Yes. Let's just talk about what belly breathing is. Let's yes. get your diaphragm moving, get those stressors down. So you're not so overwhelmed and yes. you're not setting yourself up for the fibromyalgia to be, you know, to kick up. So just so simple, just breath, right? Like yeah. that can be huge for so many things. Um, Absolutely. So, but you see this all the time, right? They latch onto a diagnosis and think they can never get past that. Yeah. And it, it takes a lot of work. Yeah, it does. Well, it does. Words are powerful and that's what a diagnosis is. It penetrates. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think one of the things that we have really circled our wagons on in our clinic is the controllables, you know, uh, we, yeah. we say, you know, our, the things that we want to influence with people is diet, stress management, sleep, and exercise, right? The, we really believe that those are the pillars of, of health and uh, especially from what we can do, right? We can't prescribe people medicine. We can't order imaging, but we can control things that are actually somewhat controllable. Um, And and I think if we start with those things, we're making a really immediate impact. And instead of holding on to, you know, people always come to our clinic and and they're they're trying to track down and eliminate pain. Well, pain is really complex and it's uh, it's a really tricky thing. Oftentimes, if we say, okay, pain aside, like, yeah, we want to get rid of your pain, but can we just focus on getting you moving? Can we just focus on sleeping better? And I can almost guarantee you that your pain's going to go down. And yeah. uh, so, you know, with us, that's that's where we're starting. And that's that's what we awesome. are kind of circling the wagons on, like I said. I love it. Thanks for being a, an important part of our community in that <laughs> respect, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, like you said, it takes it takes all of us. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. We've really, we've enjoyed learning about, you know, you and, and the discussion because for so many people, I think this is the first time they've probably even heard what a naturopathic doctor is. They didn't even know that was an option because they've gone to, through conventional medicine and searching for answers and band-aids are put on problems without an actual solution to fix it. So um, where can people learn more about you and, and um, what you're doing? 
Yeah, they call us the caboose doctors because we we tend to be the last in line. We like to fly kind of under the radar, so we do seem um, to to get that title um, honorably. To learn more, kelblossom.com is really a, a wonderful resource. I, we will continue to pour in wonderful content um, and to try to be a, a helpful guide for anyone and everyone. If you're interested in naturopathic medicine, you can go to naturopathic.org under find a doctor. You can put in your zip code and it will list any and all naturopathic doctors in your area. Um, if you are hopeful to see a naturopathic doctor in the Atlanta area, you can also so you can go on through the Atlanta Birth Center website. My practice website is really rudimentary because I've, I've got all these other irons in the fire. Um, so go on to the Atlanta Birth Center website. You can find a whole list of practitioners, including myself, with my um, practice uh, information. And if um, because my practice is is largely full, we can help you gui- get guided to another naturopathic physician uh, in the state of Georgia, if you're local, that would meet your needs because we all practice a little bit differently. Um, but so those are a few resources. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly enough, I've had a few naturopathic physicians reach out to us recently that have moved to the Atlanta area. So I think it's growing. Yes, I hope so. A lot more, um, yes. <laughs> providers available to, um, to do the great work that you're doing. Thank you. Um, tell us, you're also giving some, a promotion on some supplements. Can you tell us about those? Okay. So one really important thing is that, um, supplements are used, should be used as that supplementation. So we're not all about taking every supplement under the sun. I really try to keep my patients on five or less. If we're taking a whole bunch of stuff, it's still something that the body has to metabolize, figure out what to do with. And anything too much, too much of anything good can also be bad. So another thing with supplements, please do not buy from, I won't say any names, but large quick shipping companies because they're not stored properly in climate controlled and they have admitted to selling fraudulent formulas. So go through either a clinician. If you see one, if you guys, for example, if y'all carry supplements in your office, go through a licensed provider, or you can set up a free account with Wellevate through kelblossom.com. You get a percentage off, whatever I mentioned to you, Lauren, and that can be your go-to. Whenever you need something, you can rest assured it is uh, physician-grade, third-party quality control tested, meaning, for example, if you order a fish oil, it's not going to have a bunch of heavy metals and contaminants. If you order a prenatal or a men's multi, you're going to get the right form of B vitamins that are so important. We know folic acid is a no-go. So you can have a sound resource through Wellevate and order any and all of your supplements through there. Um, That would be where we would send all of our patients and are happy to share it with listeners today too. Well, we appreciate you coming on and sharing all your wealth of knowledge. And we could dive down so many areas through this discussion. And I think we might have to have you come back on and we focus on a specific topic that you feel is important for others to learn more about. But thank you for your time. And um, we will be sharing all your great knowledge. Thank you so much. I enjoyed it. Welcome back, everybody, to Made for More. We just finished talking to Dr. Rachel Marinowski out of the Atlanta Birth Center and owner of Kale Blossom. You can find her in the show notes and her promotion for supplements. And I think it's just a really robust conversation on thinking more critically and more creatively on how we manage our health. And so one of the things we wanted to talk about that is a major player in the way that we feel from a pain response standpoint, from a systemic uh, health standpoint is stress management. So we're gonna talk about six things that you can do to work on stress management to improve your overall health. So Lauren, why don't you start us off? Absolutely. One of the things that I think is downplayed a lot, and I alluded to this earlier, was the power of breathing. We find that so many people, they are chest breathers, right? They do these short little breaths and they never truly get their diaphragm moving. Some people call the diaphragm your second heart because it controls so many pressures within our body. But when I talk to people about breathing and getting their diaphragm moving, that means belly breathing. So taking the breath out of the chest, moving it down into the belly. And the way that we do that is by breathing in through your nose and then out through your mouth. 
and it should be slow and controlled. The longer the breath, the better. If it's short, then you're actually not getting enough oxygenation to that your body needs. And when we exhale through the mouth, I give the example as if you're blowing through a straw. So your lips are together and you're doing a nice deep breath in the nose and then blow through that straw to get all the air out of your lungs. You can take a nice big breath, but you should see your belly moving and very little chest activity to get a really good, robust breath pattern down. And simply by adding some of those into your daily routine, if you're stressed, I do it in the car a lot. Like I get a lot of anxiety sometimes because I'm doing carpool and I'm stuck waiting on, you know, traffic and I know I'm going to be late. And I just say to myself, you know what, you can only control so much. So let's just control your breath. And I breathe in through my nose, out through my mouth. And sometimes I'll even do what's called box breathing. And box breathing is where you take a deep breath in for four counts, you hold for four, then you exhale for four, and then hold for four. So it just creates this like rhythmic pattern where you can downregulate your nervous system and just minimize that stress that you're feeling, you know, whatever the situation is. But a lot of people will do it, you know, as a routine in their mornings or after they're done with work just to calm themselves down. So the power of breath, it, it goes so many ways um, to help with that stress management. Absolutely. The next thing we want to talk about is the jaw and uh, what I call jaw management. So right. a lot of people don't know this, but TMD, temporomandibular dysfunction of the TMJ to the temporomandibular joint, is the second most prevalent musculoskeletal condition in the country aside from low back pain. It is oftentimes a major culprit behind tension headaches, uh, what people would assume is a, a, a migraine. It is the uh, culprit behind jaw locking, uh, pain in the jaw, pain in the mouth, pain uh, in the craniofacial area. The jaw is oftentimes the, the biggest uh, pain producer there. So one of the things that we work on is creating uh, less tension in the muscles of mastication, which are the chewing muscles that close the jaw. A lot of times when we are stressed, we will hold our tension in the jaw by clenching our teeth. You'll often find that if you're stressed, you're maybe biting your fingernails or you're chewing on something or uh, chewing gum um, or just holding a static uh, clench. This is akin to basically grabbing a weight and holding a bicep curl for minutes or sometimes hours at a time. Like your biceps would be killing you and causing all types of shoulder, forearm, and arm pain. And the jaw is the same. So the best thing that we can do to manage our jaw is one, awareness, is uh, giving yourself reminders to just check what your, your jaw posture is. A ideal jaw posture is tongue up, teeth apart. Your teeth should never be in contact in a resting position. So tongue up, teeth apart is the, the jaw posture. The other thing to do is we say is wiggle at will, meaning every 20, 30, 40 minutes, relax your jaw and just gently wiggle it side to side. You'd be amazed at how the, the impact of this in terms of reducing stress on the jaw and reducing headaches. I had a friend of mine who is having frequent <laughs> migraines every day and thought it was a hydration issue. So hard started hydrating and no, no improvement. He saw a video on our Instagram about wiggling the jaw. He started doing it. He said within days, migraines went away, hasn't returned. It's a very powerful tool. It seems silly, but it's very powerful. So wiggle yeah. your jaw. <laughs> The simplest things sometimes are the most powerful for sure. Yep. Um, and, and just another note on the jaw is the jaw works in conjunction with your pelvic floor. And when we talk about your pelvic floor, it's muscles on the bottom of your pelvis. So it controls our bladder and bowel function. It controls other organ systems. Um, it supports all those intestines and things. But when we clench our jaw, we tend to tighten our pelvic floor and that can lead to problems, you know, in life where we feel like we can't hold our bladder when we when we work out or we can't hold our bladder when we laugh, sneeze or cough. 
simply trying to relax that jaw will help to relax that pelvic floor and allow you to not have some of those problems. So practice that and see if you clench your jaw, what happens? Do you tight, do you squeeze your, your um, glute muscles together? Um, or do you, you know, feel more tense in the, in your core and um, glute regions and just see, cause that makes a huge difference. Um, but another one that, that is really important for me is getting outside. I think I've mentioned this um, for my own stress management is I love to run. I love to walk. I walk my dog, but just getting outside, breathing fresh air and using that as your meditation. In a previous podcast, we talked about EMDR, which is the rapid eye movement um, uh, for um, like psychologists and uh, psychiatrists use. But getting outside and looking around and using your eye movements can actually calm you down and down again, down regulate your nervous system. So I find walking to be very therapeutic, whether it's with music or um, just being silent and breathing, yeah. like I said. Um, so, so important. So trying to get outside, if you're working from home, take a quick 10 minute walk, get out, breathe that air, mm -hmm. work on eye movements as you're, as you're walking, look at different things, get your eyes, um, yeah. you know, taking in the environment and you'll see a huge difference. And the, the vitamin D as well, right? Sure. Getting, getting vitamin D, which is going to help reduce pain as well. So, mm -hmm. um, number four would be journaling. Um, I'm a big journaler and you know, one of the, the biggest issues we have within our culture is we are inundated constantly with information and we can't process it. Um, and when we get, when we can't process stuff, that is a, a cortisol driver, right? And that's, um, they talk about, uh, and I'm not equating the, the two together, but you know, trauma is un unaddressed trauma is, is unprocessed trauma. Um, and when we have stress that is completely inundating us on a day-to-day -day basis, that is just unprocessed stress. And so I personally find that just getting my thoughts out on paper um, and helps me really grab onto that and, and make sense of it. Um, mm -hmm. And I, I find gratitude in that. And I'm, I'm always amazed that anytime I, I journal something, I immediately feel less stressed. I have taken that thing that was on my mind or weighing heavy on me and I've processed it. I've taken the time to, mm -hmm. to look it in the eye and say, okay, this is what I'm feeling about. This, this is what I'm sensing. And it gives you the ability to kind of let that thing go, right? You, you've taken it out of your brain and you've put it elsewhere. Um, so journaling can be, can be a major thing. And then the other thing that I tell people is pain journaling. Um, for people who have pain, this is a great mechanism to help you kind of make sense of your pain because pain is something that not only that we experience uh, physically, but it is emotional um, and mental experience as yeah. well. And we have to be able to understand it and see it from the 10,000 foot view. And by just recording just small things about your pain, and it doesn't have to be anything crazy. You know, today I woke up and my pain was a three out of five or three out of 10 or whatever. And it hadn't been that in a while. Cool. And you get a lot of data behind that of doing that day in and day out. You might be amazed that you look back after six months of saying, oh, man, my pain was actually a lot worse back then. Um, or I've now got all this data to say my pain is always the worst on Thursdays. Well, what happens on Thursday? Oh, I always have you know, my worst day at work on Thursday. Right. So it gives you data to be able to you know, work on that. So um, journaling is key. Yeah, I agree on that one. Um, another big one is minimizing sugar intake. Mm -hmm. I have found that I love sugar. Yeah, <laughs> that is that is a crutch. I Don't mean, all of us in the office. Yep. Jake and Mary Kathleen love their Oreos. Mm -hmm. I love brownies and cake. That mm -hmm. is like my downfall. And my daughter loves to bake. During this mm -hmm. whole um, pandemic, she has baked, and it is so bad for me because I can't I can't stay away. Um, but I when we all made those goals back in October, I made a conscious effort to minimize that sugar intake. In particular, evenings after dinner, I love to have something sweet. Mm -hmm. So I've substituted that by um, by having tea. And oh. I started using um, vital proteins and adding vital proteins to my tea. And they have you can get some that is a little bit of sugar, a little sweetened. Mm -hmm. But um, 
just to have a little bit of the sweet, but the tea plus that, um, and then the protein of the vital proteins has been super, super valuable. And what we notice is, you know, sugar is addictive and sugar increases our, our blood sugar. It increases our anxiety. We get overwhelmed and then it feeds into the cycle where we feel like we need more, right? So just minimizing that sugar and substituting it with something that has less sugar or just, you know, if it is, um, you know, the tea or even a little piece of chocolate, but just minimizing it so that it's more of the dark chocolate, not the milk chocolate that has so much sugar in it um, has been, it's been a huge one um, for me. Yep. Uh, I still got to work on my ice cream intake. That's my biggest thing. <laughs> I know yeah. you guys, you and Mary Kathleen, there's Man, certain things you guys love. <laughs> ice cream kills me. Uh, and finally, the sixth one is sleep. And this is the no brainer. Dr. Marinowski was talking about this, but we don't give enough power to what sleep does. And a lot of people like think about it. Like, why do we sleep? Like, this is something that has kind of baffled scientists for a really long time. Like, why do humans need sleep? And there's a lot of there's a lot of things that happen during sleep. And one of those things is healing, right? That's where our our body will actually be producing more of an inflammatory response, which is why if you've ever noticed if you had an injury and you've gone to bed and you've woke up the next day and you're really sore or that thing wakes you up at night, it's because that inflammatory response is most active. So we're healing at night. And people hear inflammatory response. That that's the inflammatory cascade in response to an injury. That's a good thing. That's healing. Um, and so, sleep helps us heal. It also uh, one interesting thing that I learned uh, recently was that uh, if you work night shift, if you are a shift worker, uh, you are fifty percent more likely to get breast cancer if you're a female. You're almost the same wow. percentage uh, more likely to get. Um, Uh, prostate cancer if you're a male and this is because we sleep at night during our circadian rhythms it's really important that it's dark out when we sleep because this is when we will naturally secrete melatonin and melatonin has been found to uh, suppress tumor formation and so actually getting sleep adequate sleep during the night You know, replacing your sleep during the day is not the same. You might get a, you know, you might feel a little bit more vitalized, but you're in a sleep deprivation at that point. Fragmented sleep is not good. There's a lot of studies they do looking at um, having people sleep an hour, then wake up an hour, sleep an hour, wake up an hour. And the health issues that came along with that were astronomically and and really frightening. Heart disease, uh, major spikes in hypertension, right? So... Fragmented right, sleep is really bad. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a research study just that showing that healthy women, um, if they start losing sleep and not sleeping consistently, that their um, likelihood of getting fibromyalgia was like over 300 times more likely yeah. of getting it by um, just on sleep alone, not getting yeah. sleep alone. So um, keeping it's that crazy. in mind that that with some of those um, inflammatory conditions, um, autoimmune conditions, that sleep can can be one of the biggest ways to, you know, kind of recover your body and minimize those effects. Yep. And then the, the last thing too is is processing of trauma. We talked about this yeah. on another podcast with uh, Dr. Kalpana Murthy is uh, that's where we process trauma. Rapid eye movement is how our brain processes trauma. So there are so many benefits to sleep. If you are not sleeping enough, if you are um, trying to break up your sleep or your sleep quality is lacking, you are setting yourself up for just a bad time all around. So six steps to manage your stress. Um, hopefully, hopefully this was helpful. Uh, some of it's common sense, but sometimes we need a reminder of it too. So mm-hmm. thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. <laughs>